James. That is really the point of the book of James. Uh, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And when you really think about those words, that, that is the whole idea of, that James is trying to get across. Not that just we're going to be people who talk about things of faith, but that we're going to be people who live it. And that we're not going to turn back from what God's word says, regardless of what the world might say. And so we are, we are moving through the book of James right now. We have arrived at chapter 2. And so if you would like to, you can take your Bible, and we're going to look in James chapter 2 and verse number 1, and if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, while you do that, I'll just tell you a story. When, when I was in seventh grade, I remember I was trying out uh, for the uh, junior high basketball team. So elementary, where I grew up, was first to sixth, and seventh grade was the first year of junior high. I was so excited because that entire summer, I'd spent the entire summer in my driveway shooting hoops, you know, all summer. And I was just, I was ready for tryouts. And so this is back in the day, you know, when not everybody makes the team. And the coaches were like cruel. They didn't care. You know, hey, you're out. You stink. Goodbye. And so you just let, and that's some good stuff there. So, uh, so I, you know, everybody's nervous because you want to do well because you don't want to hear that. And so seventh grade, I made the first round of cuts. It was great. So I made the cut first round. Then second round came. I did good the next day. And then the third, the last cut came. And the coach walks over to me after practice and says, uh, Eric, you didn't make the team. Now, I was humiliated, and I'm thinking, this guy is missing out. And so I'm just absolutely humiliated. I'm bothered. I remember one of my first thoughts. I didn't say it. This is what I was thinking. Show you how mature I am. I was thinking, I hope you guys lose for the rest of your life. And so uh, and then I began to have dreams. Well, I want to play next year. And then I had this dream. And so if any of y'all are like me, you, I mean, y'all not a great athlete. So uh, so some of you non-athletes might have had these thoughts, some of these dreams. I remember I thought, I'm going to try out next year, and when we go through the little layup drill, I'm going to do a 360 and just like tomahawk it right down the bucket, and then I'm going to walk over to the coach and say, and now you can cram it, and then just walk out. So those were some of the thoughts that I had. Now, of course, that did not happen, but the idea here is that at some point in life, everybody experiences rejection. Every person goes through it. And I, I don't care how, you know, how confident you are, how much ability you have, how much you think of yourself. Let me tell you something. There will be a day, if you haven't experienced it yet, when you're going to experience rejection. I mean, you experience rejection with people. I mean, you experience rejection, and uh, some of you know what it's like to experience it in dating. You've experienced it maybe in marriage. You've experienced it in your job. I mean, there's just some, some point in life you're going to face rejection, and it's not fun. I mean, nobody wants to go through it, and yet it's just simply, it's just a part of life. And I think that's one of the neat things that you discover about God is that as we live in a world of rejection, that we have a God who's not looking to reject people, but he's looking to restore people and bring people into his family and to bring people to hope. In Galatians 3.28, it says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there's no distinction there. Uh, 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Isn't that neat? You know, as we live in a world of rejection, we have a God who receives. 
And yet somewhere along the way, so many of, uh, of us as Christians have kind of lost sight of this. And instead of seeing a God who is looking to restore and rescue people, you know, we, we kind of look at church, or just, uh, not y'all, but just people in general, kind of look at churches, and this is the place where we can hide from the world, where all the good people are here, and all the bad people are out there. And so we set up this system of, of sort of like rejection, rejecting other people. And we come up with these strange rules in, in Christianity sometimes. Now let me try to give you an example just from what, I, what have I, I've experienced, just some simple stuff. When we first started the church, you know, we were, we were a trailer church. You know, we had everything in a trailer, and we drug it everywhere. And I remember this lady came to me, or she actually called me after church, uh, it's on Monday, and she just, I mean, she lit into me about, about not wearing a tie when I preached. Now, that would have bothered me, but because I've been married, uh, you know, I, she, when she lit into me, I was okay. And so she starts getting all over me and, uh, about, about not wearing a tie, and then she topped it off by saying, you know, and y'all didn't even have an organ in the church. Now, of course, from the practical part, I'm thinking, can you imagine us dragging a pipe organ around in the back of my truck, which would be awesome. But anyway, so I tried to explain to her, I said, hey, listen, I said, you know, just, I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but I just want to say, it's really interesting. Did you know that Jesus didn't wear a tie when he, when he preached? And then I told her, I said, and I know this, Jesus did not play an organ. Now, I don't, have a, I don't have any problems with organs, but Jesus didn't play one. Now, she didn't care. Uh, she, you know, she was upset and aggravated at me. But I thought, you know, so many times we come up with all these different rules, and instead of, instead of being a people that are looking to reach others, we're looking to divide and to separate. I mean, we are living in a world where people are looking for hope, and always have been. People are looking for meaning. They're looking to know, looking for somebody who can tell them that there's a God who can redeem and restore them. And guys, we've got the answer. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest." He says, "All of you, come to me." And so today in our scripture, what we're going to see is we're going to see James really stressing the point that we live in a world of rejection. A world of prejudice and pride. He says, but as believers, that, that, that is not our calling. So we have a calling to demonstrate to people that God loves people. And that God can rescue and restore people. And so James is going to point out to us a few callings that God has given to us to make sure or to help us not to fall in to the practice of being rejection-oriented. and The, the, the practice of... Of, of being prejudiced towards others. And so we're going to look in James chapter 2 and verse number 1 in a few moments. Uh, just as a reminder, the people that were being written to were Jewish Christians who were spread all throughout the ancient world. And you might remember over the last few weeks, we talked about how uh, the church began to get persecuted. And so the people that were in Israel, they had to spread all throughout the ancient empire trying to save their skin. And as they were hiding out, you know, going into these new countries... They were a people who knew what it was like to be rejected. I mean, they knew what it was like to be shunned. And then James, as he writes this letter later on, he begins to realize these people that knew what it was like to be secluded from everybody else and looked down upon, now they were doing the same thing. And he, and he said, now this is ugly when this happens among God's people, when we are prejudiced towards others and whenever we are rejecting others. As a matter of fact, the word that he used, he said, this is sin. 
And so it's here that James shared with them a few different callings that God has on the lives of believer, believers to keep us from falling into the trap of rejection and prejudice. So what are the callings that God has for us? Well, the very first God, uh, calling God has for us is He calls us to unity. A calling that we all have in our lives is that we are to be unified. Now, look with me in verse number 1. James says, My brothers, hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favoritism. For suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring dressed in fine clothes and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. He says, if you look with favor on the man wearing the fine clothes so that you say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now there's a tendency that whenever we see people who aren't like us, or have different backgrounds than us, that we look at them as being less than us. And, you know, there's a, I can give you a couple of simple little demonstrations of this. I know that whenever you have somebody who might come here who's from a different culture or maybe a different country, and they come here and then we listen to them talk, and, and they, they, you know, they, they just don't, they, they have a different accent. It's easy to say, well, they're, you know, they don't, they don't know our culture, so they're not as good as us. They're not as smart as us. And when you see that, you think, man, that's so ignorant when people do that. And, then I, and I, like I told you last week, I'm good at pointing out hypocrisy in other people. I can spot it a mile away. Now, when it comes to me, not so much. Now, I do the same thing. Uh, just as an example, when we go to a, if we go to a different country where they don't speak English, like when we go to Haiti, and my language skills, I'm really good at Southern English. Okay, so my, my language skills are good, but if it's supposed to be something else, not so much. And so, I mean, if I'm trying to communicate with somebody that doesn't speak English, like in Haiti, I'm saying, I think that if you speak English louder, you know, then people are going to understand. And so then I'll say, where is the bathroom? You know, and, the, and they look at me like I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm thinking, how can they not understand what I'm saying? And I'm saying this really loud. I mean, how can you not know, that be able to tell me where the bathroom is? And so I look at myself and I think, man, there's so many ways, it's so many ways that I'm ignorant in this way. And yet concerning matters of faith, the same kind of ignorance takes place in the way that we treat people. James gives the example of a rich man coming into the church and a poor man coming into the, into the church. The rich man comes to the church and says he's wearing a nice ring. He's got nice clothes on. There's nothing wrong with that. He's immediately made to be, feel welcome when he comes into the church. I mean, they, they, they sort of fawn all over him, and they, they bring him in and say, hey, why don't you come and s have a seat, and you know, one of our benches here, is we have worship service. Now that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but in the synagogues at this time, there were very few seats. Only the, the well-honored ones would sit in the seats. Everybody else would stand around the walls. And so this guy gets in, he gets a place of honor, and then James says, but then a poor man comes in, and he, he looks poor. His clothes are dirty. And how did the church welcome him? Well, you know, they said hello to him at least, but they said, you can, you can come and stand over there. Or if you want to, you can come and sit next to my footstool. Now that's an even, that's a, an even bigger slight. To, he couldn't even sit on the footstool, y'all. They said, you know, you can, you can sit next to it, but you can't sit where my feet are supposed to go. Now was James teaching here, was he saying that rich people are bad and, and poor people are good? Is James trying to get a point across that only, only poor people can have a connection with God, whereas rich people cannot? That's not the point that James is trying to demonstrate. 
Because as you read through Scripture, what you discover is that there are people who were wealthy that were greatly used by God. There are people who were poor that were greatly used by God. So what point is he trying to get across? And don't, don't be prejudiced towards people. You know, don't, don't simply judge a book by its cover. And that's what the people were doing in our text. They were ranking people. You know, we, we do the same thing. We rank people by how much money they make. We rank people by you know, the kind of job they have, where they live, what their skin color is, what their background is. The Bible says you're not supposed to take part in anything like that. Because God has created us all. Matter of fact, we are told this about God in De- Deuteronomy 10, 17. It says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God, showing no partiality and taking no bribes. God does not show partiality with people. Moses says that, that we're not either, that we're not to be a people who judge with partiality, who show favoritism towards others. We're told this in Deuteronomy 1.17, You shall not show partiality in judgment. You know, I think one of the most, most incredible things or powerful things about our faith is that when we are a people who love all people, God's testimony is doubly powerful. When they see that we are a people who love people not because of what they are, but just simply because of who they are. Because they are God's children. And our world needs to see that. They need to see Christians, the church, loving people. A really interesting story was about uh, General Robert E. Lee. Of course, he was the uh, commander of Southern forces during the Confederate, during the uh, Civil War uh, for the Confederate troops. Uh, one thing that's interesting about Robert E. Lee is that he was also he was a devout Christian. After the war was over, he was in Washington, D.C. worshiping. They were taking communion, the church was. And a black man came to the front, and he knelt down at the altar to receive communion. Nobody else came around him. Robert E. Lee got up, and he walked next to the man, and he got on his knees, and he took communion with the man. Now, some people got aggravated about that. And somebody asked him about it after the service was over. said, why did you do that? And he said, ah, he said, at the foot of the cross, all ground is level. And I thought, man, that is a good reminder for us. At the foot of the cross, let me tell you something. I don't care who you are, what your background is, who you're related to. In the eyes of Jesus, you are his creation. And you are in need of a Savior, regardless of who you are. And James says, for us to be careful not to fall into judging other people or being prejudiced towards other people and discriminating against against others. He says, remember, you have a calling to unity. Understand, we are all people that are in need of God. We're all unified in that. And we need to remember that. But another calling that we have from God that can keep us from falling into the trap of prejudice and rejection is we also have a call to remember. And we see this in verse number 5, a call to remember. It says, listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he's promised to those who love him? Yet you dishonored that poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Don't they blaspheme the noble name that you bear? Um, there's, there, we have a lady in our church who's from, who's from Gaffney, South Carolina. I don't know if she's in here right now, but she's from Gaffney. Y'all know where Gaffney is? You know, the big peach? So it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful water tower. It's peach. 
Uh, she's from Gaffney. There's also a famous actress that's from Gaffney. And they apparently they went to school together or something. And she saw her being interviewed on TV. And the actress said, they asked her where she was from. She said, well, I'm from the Charlotte area. Now, this lady told me about it in our church. And she said, it really aggravated her. She said, she's not from Charlotte. And she said it in her Gaffney accent, which is hilarious. She said, she's not from Charlotte. She said, she's from Gaffney. And, of course, I'm thinking, well, she said Charlotte because nobody but us know where Gaff- knows where Gaffney is. So, anyway, it really aggravated her. She said she's forgotten where she's from. Now, in a sense, this is what James is talking about in our text. He said the church, these guys that had been persecuted before, now they're discriminating against other people. And he's telling them, you have forgotten where you're from. You've forgotten who you are. In, in this day, there are only two classes of people economically. There were rich people and there were poor people. And that's it. Most people who were followers of Jesus at this time, not all, but most, were not wealthy. They they were poor. They were not very influential in their communities. As a matter of fact, Paul pointed this out when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, he said, brothers and sisters, think, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Now, there were some that were, but not many. Christianity, especially during this day, was seen as being the faith of the poor man. There was a Roman philosopher that wrote this about Christians in 178 AD. Here's how he described them. He says, Christians are like a swarm of bats or ants creeping out of their nest or frogs holding a symposium amid a swamp. Or they're like worms in a convention in a corner of mud. Okay, so the Christians are pretty common people. I mean, they weren't exactly, this was not a ringing endorsement of how to, you know, how to, how to get rich quick. I mean, they, these are people that were just poor people. This was their background, but apparently they forgot it. So a rich man comes into the church, and a poor man, and they forget the poor man, and they pay all their attention on the rich man. They showed favoritism. And it, it could be that the, the poor man had to be thinking, what's the deal here? I know you guys. You guys are like me. We shop in the same stores. You know, why, why, are, you, why are you ignoring me? Not only that, it, it give, gave a bad testimony of the God they were worshiping because who wants to worship a God where his people are more interested in the cover of a book than the content that's inside the book? You know, we would call this hypocrisy. And that word hypocrisy means to wear a mask. And there's a lot of people who wear religion as a mask to cover up who they really are. And, you know, we can read all the right books, and we can know all the right verses, and we can go to church and do all those things. But if we are more interested in serving ourselves and blessing ourselves over anything else, eventually that works its way out, and people notice it. You know, people who are outside of our faith can pick up on who is genuine and who's not. There's a a rather pious Sunday school teacher and and a little arrogant about it who was teaching his Sunday school class or a group of boys about the importance of living for Jesus. I I thought this was kind of a humor story. And so he just was telling the boys, he says, now boys, it is so important that you live your life for God. And he said, "Now, now why is it do you think that so many people in our community think I'm such a godly man? And one of the little boys just kind of looked around. He said, I don't think they know who you are. Now, you know, it's always good when we remember where we came from. Because when we remember where we came from, it helps us keep a good head on our shoulders. 
And when it comes to our faith, guys, let me tell you something. When it comes to our faith, we are not better than anybody else. It is just simply that God is gracious, and he's offered freely his salvation to us. Not because we've done so many great things. It's just simply that God is good, and God loves people. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us this. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast, can boast. When I remember where I'm from, I tend to be more gracious to people. When I realize that, that I have a relationship with God, not because I've earned it, but because God has been merciful and gracious to me, it's easier for me to be gracious and merciful to others, regardless of who they are. People need to see that from us. Now, we have a calling in our lives to make sure we don't fall into the trap of of rejection and prejudice towards others. We have a call to unity, a call to remember where we're from. And this is the last thing I want you to see. We have a call also to compassion. Verse 8, it says, If you really carry out the royal law prescribed in Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin. And are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law, yet fails in one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, he said you're a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy. It's without mercy. Now guys, let me tell you something. You have a choice to live under the law of God or under the mercy and grace of God. If you choose to live under the law, if you're one of these people who's a a rules and regulations person, say, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and that's how I'm going to make myself right with God, let me tell you something, you are, you're in trouble. You know why? Judgment comes without mercy. When you're under the law of mercy, God will erase the penalty of the law and protect you and give you freedom. Mercy or law? We have a call to compassion. You see, we are to treat people with compassion because that's exactly how Christ has treated us. Again, we don't deserve anything. Our nature is to rebel against God. Ephesians 2, it is in your nature to rebel against Him. He says, we're by nature objects of God's wrath. Every one of us says, I am. When somebody tells me I have to do something, my nature, even if it's better for me, my nature says, I'm not doing it. You know, you need to drive the speed limit. You have to do it. My nature is for my foot to go down a little bit more on the accelerator. Now, why is that? I don't like people telling me what to do. What to do. do you? I don't. And if you say it doesn't bother me, you're lying. Now, nobody likes somebody telling us what we're supposed to do. We're the same way with God. So you say, well, if I put myself under his leadership, what does that mean for me? If you put yourself under his leadership, it means you have freedom. You experience mercy. Guys, if we don't put ourselves under the leadership of Jesus, we will be judged by the law of God. And the law of God will find every one of us guilty. That's what our text says today, James 3.10. He says, if you, were, if you break one of God's laws, you are guilty of breaking them all. Does that seem fair to y'all? It seems pretty steep to me. You say, I haven't broken any laws. I've never killed anybody. You know, I've never committed adultery. I've never been in prison. Hey, that's good, and I hope you keep it that way. 
But God's standards are different than yours. God says, you break one of my commands, you are guilty of them all, and you will pay a penalty unless you put yourself under the mercy of Jesus. See, Jesus went to your cross and he died for us. And he took the penalty of sin that we might have freedom from it. And freedom in him. Hebrews 13, 12 says, Therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. What does that mean for us as believers? Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Freedom comes through Jesus. And we have a calling to share compassion with others because we've been shown compassion ourselves. And people will discover the freedom of Christ when they see us acting like Jesus has acted towards us.